Hey, really quick, Albert, Albert, while you're back there, I didn't say anything about this before, and I should have probably. Last week, if you were here, you know it, but if you weren't here last week, uh, I had those little cards in the back there that have some verses on it. Albert and Mitch, would you guys mind just, pat, if, does anybody not have one of these? Uh, I'd like to just make them, make them available, hand them out to people. Keep your hand up for them. They're going to pass them out. I'm going to start talking, but just keep your hand up so that you have them. We're going to uh, get to that a little bit later, but it is a, it is a, well, maybe I'll just maybe say it now while they're passing it out. I uh, laid this out last week, and I don't know if you think I'm crazy or if you don't want to help me in what I'm envisioning, but uh, uh, I thought if it's such a good thing for us, we encourage, I put it this way last week, we encourage our children, we think it's so uh, powerful for them to uh, memorize the Word of God, which uh, I think we would all say that, and yet sometimes it seems as adults we make no effort at memorizing God's Word. And uh, something that we say is so good for our kids and yet aren't willing to do ourselves. And I, to be honest with you, my memorization skills uh, are not as good as they used to be. My ability to memorize, not like it used to be. Uh, hold on, Albert, there's a few more. So we're going to endeavor as we go through the book of Ephesians. Um, I don't know if I should admit this to you up front, but... Uh, uh, I actually have three different passages picked out, one out of the first two chapters and one out of the next two chapters and one out of the final two chapters. So when all is said and done, Lord willing, we'll have three uh, sections of Scripture. Uh, my wife and I, are uh, we, we tend to think more in, in terms of chunks or sections of Scripture as more fitting than just one verse, uh, just because I think you get more context that way and uh, it, it carries with you. Also, I think I said this last week, it's a preparation, a bit of a preparation for uh, if there's ever a time when you are somewhere where you don't have access to the Word, or maybe you're not allowed to have the Word, or something along those lines, then you have a chunk of Scripture memorized, I think will be more beneficial to you than uh, one verse, uh, sort of hodgepodge here and there. Um, so, uh, in part, we will do this by gaining familiarity with it. My intention is about every Sunday, unless I forget at some point, but about every Sunday we're going to read through this together as a congregation. But that is just going to be part of it. I don't suppose most of us will memorize this entire text simply by reading through it once on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's going to take more than that, which means it'll take some of your effort at home. Uh, you can do the same thing, by the way, at home. Just read through it once a day when you sit down with your family at the, at the uh, lunch table or supper table or breakfast table, or hopefully you're sitting down at the table at some point, if that works out in your family, uh, that you are reading through it together, or maybe you grab it at your bedside, or maybe when you do your daily devotions, or maybe all of the above, whatever it may be. Um, I'm amazed at uh, our young people's ability to consume Scripture and uh, uh, memorize it. I, I'm, I'm growing to be more and more envious of that, actually, because <laughs> it used to happen for me pretty easily, too, and it doesn't anymore. So you have one in your hand. We'll get to it a little bit later in the message time. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians if you don't, uh, aren't already there, and we're going to uh, continue this study. We just started it. This is the third message uh, from the series called Walk as Children of Light which uh, comes from a little later on in the book of Ephesians. We are now in uh, chapter 1, still in verses 3 through 6. We had So far, we've really managed to do some introduction stuff. We did some background work into the people of, of Ephesus and uh, the interactions we see with them outside of the book of Ephesians in Scripture. And then last week, we did some work on uh, just sort of the major themes that are in the book. Um, just to, I'm supposing you know this, but as a reminder, if you missed those, if you want to listen to them, if you care to do those kinds of things when we're not together on a Sunday morning, uh, they are all recorded. They're available on our website. We have a podcast that puts them out there, or if you want to go back and listen to them at some point. This morning, we want to read verses 3 through 6, 
Follow along carefully as I read them for you, and you should uh, read them in your own Bible. You may have a slightly different translation, but the words will sound largely the same. Verse 3, Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, we are past the first introducing uh, line of Paul. He makes a couple of small mentions, or a couple of small remarks there, which we covered previously. And immediately we come to this thing that Paul is so very good at doing, right? Long, flowing sentences that come and go and have parenthetical statements added in, and a comma here, and a semicolon here. And, and they just keep on going and rolling, and he rolls all kinds of stuff together. So we have this long, glorious phrase. Now, in my English uh, translation here in the ESV this morning, I have a period uh, between, well, it's actually between verse 4 and 5, depending on what you're reading, that in love goes with the end of verse 4. Some uh, mine puts it at the beginning of the next sentence. But I have one period in there. Uh, quite frankly, when you read this in the original, it's not even sure whether there should be any punctuation in there in terms of a stop, a period. There's all kinds of, you know, phrases and pauses. But it's really one big, long, flowing uh, statement that Paul is making. So we're going to treat them as one big, long, flowing statement and try to uh, work our way through this, uh, this text. What I would like to, what I entitled the message today is Blessings in Christ. Today and actually next week will be the same, Lord willing, because of the, uh, he's going to continue to sort of flesh this out. Now he's beginning, if you remember last week, the first, uh, I told you the first thrust of the first three chapters largely is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So he's beginning that, but it's still a bit introductory because many of the things we're going to uh, be talking about here the next, this week and next week are things he's going to explain further as he goes through the next couple of chapters. Blessings that we have in Christ. So the first, the major statement he's making is actually the first part of what we read. Ephesians chapter 1, mostly in verse 3 there. And the rest of it really is sort of a fleshing out of that verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he, he's going to go on and kind of add to it and, and define what he's talking about and flesh it out and give it some more glorious language. But here's the heart of it. Immediately, without any pause, I'm expecting all of us to recognize that of this verse and of the subject matter of today, there is one word he really wants us to know. That word being... Blessed, right? A form of that word shows up three times in that one verse. Blessed be God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now that word in the Greek is the word eulogeho, which means to speak well of. Think of, for example, when you have a funeral service and someone gives this thing called a eulogy. That's where that word comes from, by the way, almost a direct translation. It means to speak well of them. That's what a eulogy is, is to speak well of the person uh, who has been deceased. A eulogy, eulageho, to speak well of. Now, it means to bless. That's why it's translated. It's to speak well of. It actually comes from the Old Testament word, which is this word barak, which shows up lots of times in the Old Testament, lots of times. I add that to our, our, our screen this morning simply because it fleshes out a bit of what that word bless really is intending. Because the Hebrew word barak means to kneel as you bless. Picture people coming in the presence of royalty. 
and they kneel. It is their way of blessing them. It is a, it is, it is a yielding. It is a paying homage to, if you know what that phrase means. Now, interestingly, this is a little side note, but interestingly in Scripture, there does seem to be some indication, some distinction made between the word praise and the word bless. Praise, of course, well, it can be voluntary in some respect. When Scripture speaks of all of God's creation, it speaks of it praising Him, and that is largely an involuntary act. In fact, I, think, I, didn't, I, give you, I didn't put down the exact reference. I think there's a verse in Psalms that says, all of God's, this is my paraphrase, all of God's creation praises Him, and mankind blesses Him. You see the distinction? To bless is a voluntary action. Bless God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, I actually want to break down that phrase. I, I said it a little bit uh, just like this, but I want to break down that phrase a little bit more because it's going to be the backbone of our message today because here's really in, uh, in a condensed form or when you break down all the, get rid of the, the parenthetical statements and all those things, here's really what Paul wants to say to us from these three or four verses that we were studying this morning. Blessed be God, I put it in bigger type so you could read a little better. Blessed be God who has blessed us in Christ. There's a little bit of rearranging, but actually in the original Greek that is rearranged. The in Christ in the English translation is moved up because it fits a little better. But in the original, when you're reading in the Greek, it actually says pretty much those three phrases with some stuff added in between. Blessed be God who has blessed us in Christ. That'll be the background of our message. That we are to bless God, for he has blessed us in Christ. All kinds of things packed around there, which we're going to try to unpack, but that's the premise of our discussion this morning. So we're going to start, those are our three points if you want to work through that. If you have a handout, you'll see them laid out there for you visually, hopefully to help you um, work our way through the message, jot down any notes that you want to take. Blessed be God that we as his creation are to give blessing, to voluntarily kneel or to voluntarily speak well of God. Now immediately at this point it should become painfully clear to us that our blessing of God will never, ever, ever, ever reach the height to which it should. Our speaking well of God will never speak as well of God as who he actually is, of how good he really is. Our kneeling before him, our yielding to him shall never actually be as glorious as it ought to be. Our blessing falls far short. In fact, when you think of those two, you know what the next phrase is going to be, uh, who has blessed us. Our blessing will never compare to the blessing that he has given to us. And yet, the exhortation, the mandate, the invitation remains. We, his creation, are to bless him. Of all the titles, by the way, there's a little parenthetical statement behind that phrase, blessed be God. Of all the titles that you see in Scripture of God, of which there are many, the might, the Almighty, the God, Jehovah, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, all of those titles that we see in Scripture, perhaps the greatest one is given here by Paul. Blessed be God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let that sit in you this morning, brothers and sisters. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, as Paul writes these wonderful phrases, the intimacy with which he identifies himself and us with Jesus and his Father. 
God who is high and lifted up, the mighty one, the creator of the heavens and the earth. But he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. In fact, I think it's completely intentional because it is one of those primary ways that God is blessed that he's about to reveal to us. But he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at this phrase, blessed be God. And I just want you to see why we should bless God. It's laid out right here in the text. In, in four short verses, in one big, long, overflowing, non unending sentence, it's laid out for us. Look at some of those phrases it uses. Why should we, why should we as humans bless God? It's right here. Look at the words it says, he chose us, he predestined. It was according to his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. This is, I, I don't think there could be a stronger or more obvious statement made in scripture as to why you ought to voluntarily speak well of God. He chose you. In the words that he's using in this text, he predestined you. It was according to his will. And it is for the praise of his glorious grace. You notice I'm, I'm emphasizing that, but I want you to see that it is not a lot of mention of you at this point yet, right? Not a lot to do with you yet. It's all about God. This is why we are to bless him. He chose us at his will. He wanted to. It was his desire, his design. And notice, I didn't put the phrase up there, but he did this before the foundation of the world. That such a glorious statement is made in Scripture of God and His decision for us, His, His choosing of us, and the reason that that brings to us, or the, the, the motivation that brings to us to bless Him, to choose Him, to speak well of Him, to kneel before Him, that such a glorious statement is made stands in contrast to what I'm guessing is maybe running through some of your heads even this very second. We are, we are, uh, if you know our theology named, we are Arminian, right? We are, we are, uh, we are not reformed in our theology, most of us. Maybe some of us are more reformed than others, but uh, so we immediately get lost in the weeds sometimes and have these discussions because these words that come out, what does it make you think of? Like I'm emphasizing, right? God chose us. He predestined us. And when you use that word, it's always a buzzword, right? We, just, we get lost in the weeds of this discussion about predestination and foreordained and foreknowledge and choosing and election and man's choice and free will and all kinds of stuff. And it's a shame because the point of what Paul is writing is that we would bless God and voluntarily uh, speak well of him in light of the knowledge that God is sovereign. And he chose us before, God, before the world was even formed. Now, by the way, let me just say a few things about this. Primarily, as we're going to read through the book of Ephesians, the reason that Paul is going to be so strong on this idea that we are being chosen is because of the point he's about to make in the latter part of 1 and into, into chapter 2. It's because he's writing to a whole bunch of people who are Gentiles and they have been told their entire lives long, perhaps even in their Christian lives, that the Jews are God's chosen people. And they're on the outside. They're second-class citizens. 
And the point he's going to make, if you're going to read through this book, which we're going to get there eventually, Lord willing, is that he's going to say there is, there's no distinction. He's stressing that because he is writing to people who have seen themselves on the outside of God. He's reminding, no, 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 God chose you from the beginning. You're not plan B. He's speaking to us, by the way, because we're all Gentiles here this morning. He, you're not plan B. It wasn't like he was, uh, we're going to do the Jews, and then, oh, that didn't work out quite like, well, let's, let's, let's invite these people over here too. No, 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 no. Before the foundation of the world, God wanted you to, not just as Jewish people. That's what he's intending to get across with. That's why he's emphasizing it. But let me also just say a few things about, uh, if you know some things about Calvinism or Arminianism or all those kind of things, and I am not an expert on that, by the way, and I am, I, let me just say this too, because I'm going to make a few statements. I am totally open to having conversations with people. I prefer to have them, you know, let's go have coffee this week sometime, or uh, let's have some one-on-one conversations. I mean, in other words, I, I'm not going to give a, an, an hour-long treatise or however long it needs to be from the pulpit this morning. Can I just point out that Paul apparently did not think this was a contradiction that he needed to take care of in this letter (laughs) or in any of Scripture, actually. So for us to spend a lot of time going around and around about it might not be the best use of our time. What the Calvinist ought not to forget is that Scripture is clear that we are to make our calling and our election sure. Right? What the Arminian ought not to ever forget is that Scripture is very clear. This is a gift of God. It has nothing to do with us. Right? I can assure you this is no contradiction according to God. (laughs) No contradiction according to God. I can also assure you that Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, before the foundation of the world, God knew of us as his creation and chose us to be right with him. Every one of us. That's my theology. I'll I'll, I'll at least show you that much. Every one of us. Of course he wants all of us to be in relationship with him. He knows it won't happen. He knows which ones those will be. He's outside of time. Remember, he does not, he's not bound by beginnings and endings like we are. Again, I, this is not what the, the sermon is about, but I, I, can't, I can't read these verses and not talk about this, at least in part. I'd love to have more conversation with you. I will stand firmly. Let me just say this again. I will stand firmly uh, from the scriptures that I read that God wants every one of us to be right with him and has wanted that from before the world even was formed, before sin ever happened, before any of us were ever created. That was his intention. But I want to say this too because I'm guessing I know which kind of congregation I'm preaching to this morning. I wanted to hit home for you this morning. I will say absolutely we must choose Christ. And I'll still use those words pretty intentionally. We must choose Christ. But I want there to be no mistake made that God chose you first. Blessed be God. I didn't even put up the most exciting part about this whole thing. 
Because all of this he did. In the center of this long sentence, actually, is there's sort of like a seesaw here. In the center of it, the, sort of like I'm, I'm moving into the most important thing and then I'm going to move back out of it again. Because he says he did all this in love. Because he loves you. Because he cares about you. And he did all that before the foundation of the world. Before ever was Adam and Eve. Before there ever was sin. Before you were ever even known of in this world. Sometimes, sometimes it is such a sad thing that it is so well known in the church that God loves us. Because I fear that we lose how precious that really is. That God loves us. And how critical it is. You know me, I've been saying it in this text, and so this is about the church, but the church is made up of individuals, and how critical it is that each of you individually know that God loves you. It's not just some blanket statement, because it is true universally, but it is true specifically. <laughs> it wouldn't work, and it would probably make all of you really, really uncomfortable. But if it were somehow possible for me to walk around the room this morning and stop and look at every single person and say, God loves you, and I need you to know it, and God loves you, and God loves you, and, just, and, and have at, at the expense of everyone else and the, at the blocking out of everyone else that you would know the truth of that. But you know what? It'll never be as good when I tell you as it is when God tells you himself. If you're into extra credit assignments from church on Sunday morning, take a moment this week and just ask God whether he loves you and to show his love for you and then just allow him the privilege of speaking to you and reminding you of this. As I said, we are to bless God because he chose us. He predestined us. It was according to his will. as to the praise of his glorious grace. He did all those things in love before the world was even formed. And he, in return, that's the reason for us to bless him, but... He has already blessed us, and that's already blessing enough that we're talking about, but we're going we're gonna to dig into that blessing, and I'm going to be careful not to get too far ahead because uh, we're going we're gonna to be revealing more of this next week and even as we go through the next weeks after that. But God has already, in fact, blessed us. Now, there's two parenthetical statements that go with this phrase. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That's probably how your scripture reads. The first of those things, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. It is in some sense, it is a contrast between earthly or flesh blessings and spiritual blessings, sure, because the, the blessings God has given us, while they may also be physical and form many times, overarchingly, that's not what God is about. That's not, that's not what he's so much interested in. But that's actually really not even what that's about, because the phrase is not so much about a contrast between flesh versus spirit. It's a, it's a statement of where those blessings flow from. You should read it this way, that he has blessed us from the Spirit, in the Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. Most commentators that I read, most scholars that I read agree that here is a picture of the triune God. God has blessed us in Jesus Christ through the Spirit. That is the channel by which we receive and come to know and operate in the blessings that God has given us. And those blessings, look at the next phrase, those blessings are, again here it says, in the heavenly places, 
Honestly, the word just means, it says in heaven or heavenlies, and we supply the places we, because it, it seems to be a word of location. But actually, the word literally means beyond the sky. The blessings that God has blessed you with in the Holy Spirit are beyond the sky. They're, they're more than you can imagine. Take your wildest dreams of how amazing it would be to be right with God and to live according to God and to be in his freedom and then say, it's even more than that. There's so many things, and I think it's why Paul writes the way he does. There's so many things about God that are superlative. They're more than what you can put a label to. In heavenly places. Also, I think that's a reminder to us. It ought to be a reminder to us for the Christian that... Uh, both of those things, phrases put together, that this is not our home. The blessings we're, we're, we're seeing here, the earthly, physical blessings we're seeing here, the tangible blessings, this is not our home. We're receiving them in the spirit and they are for a heavenly place. They're beyond the sky. Our, our, our dwelling place is not here. Our dwelling place is in a city whose builder is God, with God. And those who live by faith live for that day. Well, what are those blessings we might be asking ourselves? If God has blessed us, what might they be? Again, this is just going to be an introduction. I want to quickly move through these. The first blessing that I see from the text here is that we are accepted. That actually comes from the very last phrase of uh, what we read in verse 6. He has, in the ASV, it says, he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, you might be reading a translation that says accepted because that's what the word carries. I actually wish the ESV would not have translated as blessed. Uh, that's what mine reads, blessed in the beloved, because it's not the same root as what the blessings were from before. What this word actually is the word keritoho, which means it shares a root with the word charis, which means grace. It's actually a tied back to the beginning of verse 6, says to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has, and it's an outcome of his grace is what that word is. He, we have experienced his grace. We've been given his grace. We have been accepted in the beloved. We are accepted most human psychologists would agree that acceptance is one of the greatest needs of the human soul. That acceptance is what every one of us really truly longs for. Most sociologists, when studying the practices of mankind, would agree that acceptance is what drives things like peer pressure. Because we want to be accepted. What I am telling you this morning not that I'm telling you those people are right, except from the fact that they may be right when they agree with God. I'm telling you that that really finds its root here, right here. That what Scripture tells us is that one of the chief blessings that God has blessed us with, these spiritual blessings, the ones in the Holy Spirit, in the heavenlies, is that we are accepted by Him. I can tell you that is what your heart really, truly longs for, whether we know it or not whether we'll admit it or not. In acceptance, we find security, don't we? When we have been accepted, we are secure. Second of all, I see, because it's right there in plain English, that God has blessed us with this idea of adoption. We are adopted. 
In the Roman world, when you became adopted, you changed your name, and it did not matter who you were before then or who, what you did before then, you became part of the family that adopted you, and you were known as one of them. Unless you happened to know differently because you know that, that individual person ahead of time, no one would ever know that you were not initially or originally part of that family. They would have treated you exactly uh, like, like you were part of that family. This is what the picture that, that Paul is driving us towards, that we have been adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. That God, notice that phrase we used at the beginning, it's why this glorious phrase, that God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have now been adopted through Jesus Christ so that he is also our Father. We are his sons, we are his daughters. We are adopted. We are no longer to be known for who we were. This should ring some bells with all kinds of stuff that's in the New Testament. We are no longer to be known for who we were or carry the name that we once had but we are now someone different. We belong to someone different. We identify with someone different. We behave as someone different. We are part of a different family than what we were before. When we become adopted, that defines identity for us, doesn't it? That's what names do, right? They identify us. There's many other things that identify us, but in adoption, we find identity. One more that I'm going to bring out from the text here because it's there in the text. We are made a blessing. We are made holy and blameless. These are two sides of the same coin, the positive and the negative. Holy is to be pure. Blameless is to be without spot or without blemish. So they're speaking of the same thing. They're speaking of purity. We are made right before him. Again, if... If you've been, listening, or been part of our Sunday school class for the last uh, couple of weeks, so we know we're, we're, we're in creation, the story of creation. We ended, uh, we talked about the fact that uh, in, when Adam and Eve were created, they were naked and they were not ashamed, right? That's a statement of their, their purity, of, 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 their, uh, of being right. And then when sin came, of course, they had to be covered and then God made coverings for them and all kinds of stuff that we're not going into that this morning. But that was the, that was the breaking of that purity. But we have been blessed. Remember, 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 Paul has just told us that God did all these things in love before the world was even formed. He said, I'm going to do this for you. I will accept you, I will adopt you, and I will make you holy and blameless. And the best part of this whole thing, now it really comes at the end of this phrase right here, holy and blameless in the text, I would assign it actually to all three of these blessings, is that it is, the phrase there is, Kata enopion, which means directly in the face of or directly in front of him. We are accepted directly in front of God. We can stand directly in front of God in his face. We are adopted. We are right in front of him. There's, there's, there, there's nothing between us. There's, we are holy and blameless right before him. We are covered before him. Again, I tell you, this is what our hearts long for because he is our creator. And we long to be directly in the face of God and have him look upon us and have us gaze upon him. I can tell you, according to this text, that's exactly what God wants too. It is these things with which he has blessed us. By the way, real quick aside, I don't know how many asides I should make here because time keeps moving on. But I was pleasantly, I was pleasantly stunned this week when I was studying for this text and I wrote these things down. I mean, you can go back. I mean, look at my notebook. And I wrote these things down. And I started looking at it. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. And I started flipping pages. And I started digging through notes from other sermons. Because I have for years, 
Uh, one of my favorite stories to teach from, and I think you guys know this, but one of my favorite stories to teach from is the story of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. And I have for years, as I've taught through that in churches, and I've maybe done some here too, but I did a lot of revival meeting settings, for years I've taught, and I break down, and I talk, but you know, you know what happens when the son returns, right? And the father comes, and what does he do? Can you name the things the father does for the son? What, what does he give the son? Do you know those things? He gives him a ring. A what? A cloak, a robe, a robe and a ring, and shoes uh, for his feet. He covers his feet. Is that what you said? Feet? Feast. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. He celebrated. Yes, I, I, was, I thought you said feet, so I was like, I, I knew you thought you were going right with me. He, he covered with a robe, he gave him a ring, and he put shoes on his feet, and then he had a great big celebration, of course. And I have, this was, I mean, this was years ago, and I uh, have taught this, that those three things provide three things to the son. The robe covers him to make him blameless before him. The ring gives him identity, and the shoes in that culture stood for protection or security. And I sat there this week, and I was like, whoa. Paul said, from before the foundation of the world, God's intention for us in love was to bless us with these three things, <laughs> to make us pure before him, give us an identity as his children, and give us security in him, accept us. Anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. Maybe you don't think it's that cool, but I thought it was pretty cool. Blessed be God who has blessed us, and he's done so in Christ. Again, I ended last week's message with this, and you're going to be tired of this by the time we get down to Ephesians. I hope not, because it is the, it is the excuse the little phrase, but it is, it is the secret sauce of our Christianity to be in Christ. It is everything, I'm telling you. It is everything to be in Christ. And we're going to hear it over and over and over and over and over again. That's why I tell you it's everything, because it's here in God's Word. In these four verses, we find these examples uh, brought into this sentence. In Christ, we see that it is in the beloved, it is through Jesus Christ, it is in him, it is in Christ. Four times, there's a reference to how this is done in Jesus Christ or through Jesus Christ. By the way, the first one I love because that's actually a bookend. It's a bit of a bookend. In the beloved is the very last phrase in there. It's in the beloved. It's a form of the word love that's shared back up in the middle of the, I told you this is sort of the pinnacle that's in love. And what we see is that all that God has done for us in love, he has done through the loved one. There's an article in front of it. It's basically the same word, only there's an article. There's the word the in front of it, which means it's the beloved. So all that God has done for us in love, he has done through or in the beloved. Which, of course, should immediately remind us of the time when Jesus was actually walking on this earth, and God said that, right? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. All the things we are about to unfold as we embark through this letter of the Ephesians, all the treasures, all the riches of what God has done for us, and all the mandates which we will receive, all the exhortations that we will be given, all the, the ways that we will be compelled to honor Christ, all of those things find their home in Jesus, in Christ. There's just no other way. Which again reminds us of the very words that Jesus said. Let me just turn back in my scriptures to the Gospels. We'll go to the Gospel of John. These words should be familiar to us. He says this. Jesus says this. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. He goes on to say these things, but I want to, I'm going to stop there this morning. We are to be in him. Jesus told us those words, of course, and now Paul is telling us the same thing, that God has blessed us with all kinds of blessings, but it's in Christ. Those blessings are found in Christ. They're received, they're enacted, they're, they're, they're active in us when we are in Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. It is, I think, from my perspective as my, my own, I'm just I'm speaking personally, my perspective as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, individually, personally, and then also in agreement with that, and just as I speak as a, as a pastor who walks alongside of people who are followers of Jesus Christ, it is, I think, this, this place that is always difficult to translate from what I know to what I really know and do to abide in Christ, to be found in him. We all know it. It's not the, I, I, I'm, I'm just 100% confident it's not the first time you've heard that, right, in church, that you're to abide in the vine. I sure hope not. But it makes all the difference in our ability and our success in actually walking in Christ, right? Whether we're in him, whether we abide and rest in him. Some of it's reflected in the things Dan talked about this morning. When things aren't going well, do we rest in him? Do we find peace as we, as, as we just surrender to him? But I can tell you it's also found on the other side of things, and sometimes that's almost more difficult when everything is going well and great. We sometimes struggle even more to abide in Christ because it sort of feels like we got it all together. Don't need nothing. Everything's humming along like it ought to. I got this, Right? It's pretty easy to figure out that I don't got this when something's falling apart. The mandate hasn't changed. It doesn't change depending on which situation you're in. It doesn't say, well, when your world is falling apart, abide in Christ. But when you got it, then you're doing good. Branch can just do whatever it wants. No, 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 no. We are to abide in him all the time. Well, I want to come to the end of the message time because I I think I want to do something yet with you, if you'll permit me. Uh, the title of the message is Blessings in Christ, and we're gonna, we've been digging to those, what those blessings are in Christ, and next week we're going to continue digging them. But the first part of the phrase that I read was that we are to bless God because of the blessings we have in Christ. And so I thought it might just be good for us this morning to do a little practice. If you remember back, this, I love when, when these kind of connections happen because this is what I preach the way I do, but uh, we just did a study in the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, when they were confessing and then they were going to make this, this, this uh, covenant with God again, as they were worshiping together, remember Nehemiah 9.5, they stood up and they said this. They said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. I, just, just listen to the words, though, please, before we jump ahead. Blessed be your glorious name, God, which is to be exalted above all blessing and praise. In other words, like we're going to bless you, God, but we're still going to fall far short of what it really deserves. So why don't we just do that this morning? The invitation is given to stand up and bless the Lord. So would you mind standing this morning? Stand up 
Let's bless the Lord. I picked just a couple of verses. We could, do, we could have done, we could have gone all afternoon with this, friends. But I picked a few to give us a taste. They happen to come from Psalms, most of them. Let me move this forward. If you can see, can you guys read the text that's below in the, or in the, the yellowish orange there? We're going to do a little responsive reading. I'm going to read the, yellow, the white parts. I want you guys to respond. And by the way, one thing I noticed as I was typing these things out is there's a lot of exclamation points in here. So when you read exclamation points, what does that mean? It means you should exclaim it, right? Yeah. So we want to bless God this morning. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your holy, I'm sorry, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is King. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is King. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, if you know the rest of Psalm 103, you know that he begins listing some of those, but I thought I'm going to stop there this morning and invite you to close your eyes and just make your own catalog, your own list of how God has blessed you. Well, you mean that in sincerity this morning, church, that you can tell yourself, lead your own heart and mind, your own soul, to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What do you need to say this morning? You just, just keep your eyes closed. What do you need to say this morning to this great God who has blessed you in Christ with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places? How can you voluntarily speak well of him? How can you voluntarily kneel before him, yield to him, pay homage to him, bless him? I was about to say, I did not actually specify, but I was about to say that if you can't do your blessings quietly, they can be out loud. I've received from God is contained, spelled out in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which is the memory verses I gave you. So if you have that little slip of paper, this is to be a good time for us to just declare as we bless God the truth of these verses. Would you pull it out in front of you and read through it out loud with me? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is very non-traditional, non-typical, but brothers and sisters, I believe our prayer time was already had by our blessing of God. And I also would, uh, we were, as we were standing there blessing God, I thought it would just be very appropriate for us to, I know we always have a specific song we sing, but I'm asking us to change it this morning. Could we, uh, could we just sing verses two and three again of uh, How Great Thou Art, the verse that starts with uh, uh, and when I think that God is son not sparing, sent him to die. And then the final verse, along with both choruses. Merlin, could you lead that as we, what's that? Just uh, three and four. I think it's just three and four. I believe. Go in peace. When the song is done, you may be dismissed. <laughs>